Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm here in the Dallas, Texas Metroplex area, actually in Arlington, Texas, which is one of the suburb cities. This is an unbelievable part of the world to be living in. And we're here to go to the crossroads of Arlington. It's a gathering. We had dinner last evening with Joe Centineo. He's the pastor of the church. He dates back in our history to when I was the vice president of one of the Salem radio stations in New York City. He was youth pastor at the church where we went. Our children were involved. We're looking forward to being with Joe, and we'd look forward to having you come and join us as we study Bible prophecy. Tell you more about that in just a few moments. We have a jam-packed program. We're going to be talking about Noah's Ark. There is a man who is involved with a team looking for Noah's Ark. This is a very interesting story. We're talking about Dr. Randy Price. We'll get to a conversation with him a bit later on in the broadcast. But we have our broadcast partners standing by literally all over the world to find out what is happening, look at these current events, and then I'll bring it together when we take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today. First up in our broadcast partners will be Ken Timmerman. He's in the Washington, D.C. area. He covers geopolitical activities for us. Ken, I've got a pulpourri of items today. Uh, We need to really attack a lot of it. But let's just pause for a moment and think about what happened in Connecticut. That mass murder, I don't know exactly what all the final numbers are. I believe around 20 children, maybe six or seven adults. Uh, this was a terrible tragedy upon this uh, uh, this people in this little school that was there in Connecticut and a terrible time for this season of the year. Uh, it is, Jimmy. Obviously, it, it's heartbreaking, and, and you just your heart goes out to all of the parents of those children and, and the people who died there in this senseless, senseless outbreak of violence. You know, it's just evidence, solid, tangible evidence of the evil in this world and the reason that we have this program on the air to talk about Lift Up Jesus Christ. We talk about Bible prophecy here, but the book of Revelation chapter 19, verse 10 says, Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, and that's the only answer to a situation like that for these dear people. Pray for them, if you will, that uh, their families uh, might uh, come to and understanding some comfort, some grace in these times. Ken, let's cover other items. We don't need to develop that because the news media across America and around the world is covering that situation in Connecticut. Uh, But let me get to some uh, things that I think we need to talk about. United States troops and Patriot missiles have been deployed to Turkey. Uh, The Secretary of Defense, Panetta, there in Afghanistan on his way into Turkey, This is a very interesting move, and it seems like we're moving into another part of the world where our troops have not been. Well, this is primarily a defensive move, uh, Jimmy, as far as I can ascertain. Uh, The uh, United States is going to help uh, the Turks, who remain a NATO ally despite their growing uh, opposition to our great ally, the State of Israel, uh, to defend themselves against Syria. And the Syrians um, have repeatedly over the past couple of weeks um, either infringed on Turkish airspace with their warplanes or they fired um, artillery and uh, in, in across the border into Turkey so this is a defensive measure uh, the Patriot missiles will help them defend against any missile launches against Turkey and will also help them to shoot down uh, Syrian aircraft should they stray across the border again 
Now, this means that, indeed, the United States is getting serious about this Syrian situation. I have read a report that uh, the Syrians, I'm really talking about Bashar Assad, the president, is ready to use those chemical weapons of mass destruction. What do you know about this? Well, we have heard this week that uh, Syrian troops were uh, seen by U.S. satellite uh, surveillance mixing the chemicals, these binary agents. In other words, they're two inert chemicals that, when mixed together, will make a deadly uh, nerve gas or uh, uh, mustard gas. And they were, they were observed this week mixing those chemicals and packing them into warheads that could be dropped from airplanes or potentially launched from missiles. And this is exactly what the United States has been warning Syria not to do. It appears that uh, Syria may have backed off a little bit after some very public uh, warnings this week from the United States government. Uh, but we have to see. I mean, uh, just Bashar al-Assad has threatened the opposition to hit them with nerve gas. It would be a devastating attack. We also have a um, U.S. Uh, carrier battle group off the coast, coasts of Syria with the possibility of intervening in the event that Syria did use those chemical weapons. Uh, and so uh, that, I think, is a very serious saber-rattling by the United States. You know, it's very interesting that you brought to our attention uh, the U.S. naval uh, warships there off the coast of Syria. At the same time, Russia has pulled some ships into their port there. They've got about 30,000 of their citizens there in Syria. I think they've been assisting Assad, but they want to make sure they can get out as well. Well, absolutely. And uh, Assad, Syria, is really the last true ally that Russia has uh, left in the Middle East. They have a uh, port in Tartus uh, on the Mediterranean. This is, has long been a, a Russian and before that a Soviet objective to have a warm water port. They've got it, and it's thanks to uh, Assad and his father. Um, and the, the Russians would like to maintain that investment, to protect that investment, if you wish. Uh, there's been some uh, controversy this week about statements made by the deputy foreign minister of Russia uh, s- saying that uh, he could see that Assad was on his last legs. The Russians, uh, a day after that statement, uh, kind of tried to turn it around and uh, suggest that there was nothing new in their assessment of his situation. But I think what you're seeing, Jimmy, is that even Syria's best ally, the Russian Federation, is beginning to see the writing on the wall. They are worried about their um, citizens who are in Syria, training, by the way, the Syrian military, assisting the Syrian Air Force, uh, helping them with Russian weapon systems. And so they are worried about getting those people out should the regime absolutely collapse. And I think uh, that may be uh, what you heard from the Russian deputy foreign minister this week, basically his conscience telling him uh, that they have got to start planning for the end of the Assad regime. Let me talk to you something domestic going on in America right now, but well does have an impact across the entire world. Susan Rice, who is the ambassador to the United Nations for the United States, withdrawing her name for a possible appointment to Secretary of State. Looks like John Kerry is going to get that position. But is that going to make the Benghazi thing go away just because Susan Rice is not appointed Secretary of State? Well, I certainly hope it won't make Benghazi Gate go away. This uh, is a uh, drama that has been unfolding over the past couple of months now, uh, since the September 11th attacks against our consulate and our buildings uh, in Benghazi. And it's, and it's pretty clear that the Obama administration had real-time intelligence 
of what was going on on the ground. There was a uh, video feed from a Predator drone overhead that was at the very least going to the Pentagon. Earlier reports said that it was going into the Situation Room at the White House. They've now denied that. But nevertheless, uh, the administration clearly had real-time intelligence of what was happening in Benghazi and did not dispatch uh, troops or helicopters or aircraft to rescue our people on the ground and allowed them to die. And, and this is the first time that U.S. citizens have, have perished in this kind of attack on a U.S. embassy. Uh, the last time one of our ambassadors was killed was in 1979 when Jimmy Carter was president, or the U.S. ambassador to Afghanistan. So this is a, you know, what happened in Benghazi is serious. The fact that Susan Rice is no longer in the running for Secretary of State does not diminish the scandal of uh, the Obama administration not rescuing our people. And I think that John Kerry, should he be nominated and uh, uh, be confirmed by the Senate, uh, is going to have to do some answering on this as well. Yeah, that is true, and it's going to impact what uh, the United States is able to do as far as the world is concerned. Uh, whether you like uh, uh, Mrs. Clinton or not, she has been very visible out there and endeavoring to try to develop uh, the superpower status, I guess, of the United States, which seems to be sleeping, slipping away. In fact, there is an intelligence community report that says the United States and the European Union, I'm going to talk later to our broadcast partner in Europe, uh, but the, the European Union United States are going to really kind of fade into the background. China, the Asian area, is going to become the superpower location by the year 2030. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Uh, well, actually, Jimmy, that uh, intelligence report, uh, I think, is a bit uh, optimistic. It says that the Chinese economy is going to overtake the American economy by, uh, by 2030. Uh, I've looked at these figures very carefully when it comes to military spending, and if the defense sequestration takes effect on January 1st, 2013, in other words, just, you know, this in a, in a couple of weeks here, um, the and, and those defense budgets remain at those levels of the sequester, uh, the Chinese military spending will actually overtake Pentagon spending by the year 2020. Uh, I've looked at this very carefully, uh, projecting all of these numbers uh, uh, out to 2020 using the Pentagon's own estimates of Chinese military spending, and it's astonishing. We are on a downward spiral of defense spending under the Obama administration, uh, and uh, in, in just less than seven years, even communist China will be spending more than we will. They'll be building new generations of ballistic missiles. They'll be building new generations of nuclear weapons. Uh, there's significant evidence to suggest that they may have as many as 3,000 warheads, not the couple of hundred warheads that is normally uh, attributed to the Chinese military, and uh, that they're building a, a stealth fighter jet, uh, and a lot of other new weapon systems, a Blue Navy, etc., that are going to challenge uh, U.S. military dominance uh, in the coming years. Ken Timmerman, he has our geopolitical report on what's happening in our world. And this is important information for all of us to understand world events because those events are actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Ken, thank you so very much. Your mind and the way you look at things before I ever get to you with the questions, amazing to me, and we appreciate your input along the way. We'll talk to you again real soon. Thank you so much, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, a Middle East news update. David Dolan is standing by. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. 
In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's Revelation, A Chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here in Temporary Studios in the Dallas area, uh, the Metroplex here in Dallas, Texas. Actually, Arlington, Texas is where we're at, and we're going to be at the church called Crossroads of Arlington. It's actually a Baptist church, but uh, I like that title. Uh, Joe Centineo, longtime friend I can remember when he was youth pastor for some of our children. Now, that has to be many years ago, but we're looking forward to being with Joe and all of his fine friends that are gathered together. Now, that's why they call it a gathering instead of a church. It's a neat experience, and we're going to be teaching the prophetic word of God there tomorrow morning. If you're in the Metroplex area, we'll be at 9.30 and 11 o'clock there at Crossroads. It's located on West Pioneer Parkway, and then at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. By the way, this is the Christmas season. Let me just suggest you go to our website, prophecytoday.com. Do we have some Christmas specials? James has put them up. Wow, it is exciting what you're going to be able to do for your Christmas shopping at prophecytoday.com. $10 for every single DVD that we have in the house and only $15 for the CDs. This would be the audio series that we teach, sometimes the entire books of the Bible, whatever. Go to our website, prophecytoday.com. You'll see it on the home page about the Christmas specials at the one-stop shopping headquarters for your Christmas needs, prophecytoday.com. 
Let's get now to one of our broadcast partners who has a focus on the Middle East. David Dolan has been a longtime journalist in Jerusalem. He's been there for over 25 years. He has very much information in his mind automatically. I could probably wake him up at 2 o'clock in the morning. He could tell us what's going on. David, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we do a value very much these conversations that we have with you, David. And thank you for being available to us. And let's get right underway because there is so much to talk about. Uh, the foreign minister of Israel has resigned. I'm going to get back to that in just a moment. But first, uh, there was a Hamas rally. Now, Hamas is in the Gaza Strip. Uh, they're a notorious terrorist organization. You were the first one to ever talk about them over 25 years ago. But for the first time, they have held one of their rallies in what is referred to as the West Bank, actually in the area of Judea and Samaria. Talk to me about this development. Another um, important sign that um, the um, Hamas movement, and Hamas is a Arabic acronym for Islamic Resistance Movement. That's their full formal name. Most people probably don't know that, but... Uh, they resist. They resist Israel. They resist peace. And, of course, they've been resisting the Palestinian Authority that is headquartered in Ramallah, just north of Jerusalem, uh, resisting them violently, uh, throwing them out of the Gaza Strip in 2007 in a mini-coup staged against them. So there's no love loss between these two groups. But the fact that the uh, Palestinian Authority leadership, uh, ship, uh, Mahmoud Abbas and the others, um, not only allowed, but uh, joined in this, uh, quote, celebration of the 25th anniversary of Hamas's founding was a definite sign that uh, they are feeling weak, uh, the PA, that they are feeling uh, less popular than Hamas, and that is, in fact, the case. All the opinion polls show that that is the case amongst the Palestinians, and Hamas is very popular. Again, they hold to a Muslim fundamentalist uh, reading of the Quran, there cannot be a Jewish state in any land that um, Islam once dominated, and of course they ruled they, the Holy Land for most of the past, um, uh, gosh, going back to the 7th century, so uh, most of that time, and uh, they want it back. Uh, Hamas says no peace, no talks. In fact, they called the peace process a waste of time this week and urge the PA to join them in violent acts such as these rocket attacks uh, last month upon Israeli civilian areas and obviously the PA is feeling like it has to at least partially go along with that uh, this is the popular movement and uh, now I would say as uh, you mentioned I um, predicted many many years ago the dominant, now the dominant movement amongst the Palestinian people, whereas once the PLO was declared the sole legitimate representative of the Palestinian people, that was a, uh, an act that uh, the UN endorsed even. Uh, now today it's clear that the Islamic resistance movement out of the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood is on top. And with a backdrop of the United Nations decision to give the Palestinian Authority state status, albeit observer state status, but they're claiming it's state status right now. This is what we're seeing unfolding. Uh, doesn't look like this would be the kind of a state that you would like to coexist with. But at the same time, more violence taking place in Hebron, which is the second most sacred piece of real estate for the Jewish people, uh, where uh, there was a young man 
a Palestinian who pulled a fake pistol. And then a border policeman shot him. He didn't realize it was a fake pistol, of course. He thought he was going to be shot. He was defending himself. And now a group of young people, uh, they're calling themselves the National Unity Brigades. They're saying the Third Intifada is underway. First explain what is an intifada, but then talk about this uprising there in Hebron. Well, an intifada is um, an Arabic word meaning shaking off, literally shaking something off of you like you would a spider, let's say, or something. Of course, they're referring to shaking off Israel uh, from the lands that uh, Israel sits upon today, the Holy Land, Judea, Samaria, the coastal area the north, the Galilee, the Negev Desert, um, destroying Israel, in other words. And, um, yes, they've launched, uh, the Palestinians have launched two of these in uh, the late 80s when Hamas was first founded. Uh, that began in 1988 in the Gaza Strip, actually December of 87, to be technical about it. And then the second uprising, September 2000, soon after Ariel Sharon visited the Temple Mount, and Arafat used that as an excuse to launch another major round of violence. Now, it's important to point out, Jimmy, that this is a declaration by a local group in, um, in uh, Judea, in Hebron, which, of course, is Judaism's second holiest city, as you know, and, and a city, though, of course, very important to the Muslims as well, since they uh, take uh, ownership of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, especially Abraham, uh, in some way. Um, so it's not a, a uh, something happening all over the place, at least not at this stage. The worry amongst Israeli officials is that Abbas although he doesn't want an uprising now, he doesn't want violence. He said earlier this week he wants to return to the peace table at some point, and there should be a two-state solution, but uh, he may find himself forced to support this um, this uh, new round of violence, and it could uh, turn into something major if indeed the PA looks the other way. But if he does that, he will probably lose some support from the West, uh, the United States in particular has been training PA security forces, but that was happening before the second uprising uh, broke out in 2000. So um, we could well see that again, and it would just be a mess for the area. Yeah, and I think there is some hint of what may be in the future as far as these two factions of the Palestinian people, Hamas in Gaza Strip and then in the area of Judea and Samaria, Fatah. In the new logo for Fatah, uh, they have eliminated Israel altogether on this logo, which is uh, representing what they believe, uh, meaning that, uh, hey, they're going to go along with Hamas and let's get rid of this Jewish state, implement a Palestinian state. Well, the truth is there's always been some Fatah leaders that never went along with um, Arafat signing the 1993 Oslo Accord with the late Yitzhak Rabin on the White House lawn, um, Farouk Kadumi, who's often referred to as the foreign minister of the PLO, or he was at least, he strongly opposed it and others did. But a majority of the Fatah officials at least formally endorsed the peace process, but uh, their actions ever since have belied that. Um, you know, again, Arafat um, agreeing to, um, not agreeing, but unleashing some of his forces to join in the uh, second uprising in 2000, a clear violation of the peace process. And, of course, uh, Abbas going to the U.N. Um, last month and uh, getting this uh, declaration of a non-member uh, state, but still the word state being used, 
And again, the peace process, the peace accord said neither side is going to do anything unilateral uh, to decide this issue. Israel's not going to, in other words, uh, declare it's a next Judea and Samaria, which many want to do, but it's not going to do that, and the Palestinians are not going to just announce a state and have have a state rise up without uh, negotiations over it, its borders, etc., with Israel. So um, they are violating uh, pretty much everything. Now, whether they're doing that because they feel forced to by Hamas's surging strength is another question, but whatever the reason, they are becoming more and more extreme, the uh, the PLO leadership, the Fatah leadership, and uh, obviously that is not a recipe for any uh, solution to the uh, conflict between Israel and the Palestinians. Need 10 seconds on this one, David. The foreign minister, Vigdor Lieberman, has resigned. This is going to hurt Netanyahu being reelected. It will because uh, they, they join forces, the two parties together. Many are now saying that was a big mistake on Netanyahu's part. He's still very popular, though, and he will still be prime minister. But uh, Lieberman's going in the wake of new criminal charges being filed against him is a great blow to the prime minister. David, thank you so much, my good friend. You're welcome. God bless, Jimmy. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking with a Jerusalem Post journalist, Yaakov Lapin, about whether the Israeli Defense Force will attack Iran in the spring. That's all ahead here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here in Dallas, Texas, in Temporary Studios. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. You do not want to miss this half-hour Yaakov Lapin standing by, talking about whether Israel will attack Iran in the spring. Rob Congdon, a European Union update. And Bob McGinnis is in Hawaii on a training operation. You need to hear what he's going to say to us right here on Prophecy Today. All of our broadcast partners ready to assist you in understanding what's going on around our world. Be sure to go to our website, prophecytoday.com. Some very good Christmas specials at our website. DVDs and CDs all available at unbelievable prices. Our address is prophecytoday.com. Go to the shopping mall. You'll be happy you did in this Christmas shopping season. We bring to these microphones right now one of our broadcast partners that we've used in the past because he wrote a book entitled The Virtual Caliphate talking about what the Islamic world would like to set in place, a caliphate on the ground, but they 
to some extent, have one already in place. Yaakov Lapin is a journalist. He works with the Jerusalem Post, lives in Tel Aviv, Israel, and he wrote an article last week pertaining to security and defense, and it was put in somewhat of a question. Iran strike in the spring. And I want to get to Yaakov and find out what his bottom line answer for that particular question is. But Yaakov, thank you for joining us, by the way, to help us understand this Iranian situation. My pleasure, Jimmy. Let's uh, drop back a couple of weeks to Operation Pillar of Defense there in the Gaza Strip between the Israeli Defense Force and Hamas. I have heard reports that Iran played a key role in this situation. Many of the rockets fired into Israel were made in Iran. Is it true the Revolutionary Guard or some element of the Iranian uh, Islamic government had some role in this situation in the Gaza Strip? There's no question about it. All of the long-range rockets, the Fajr-3 and Fajr-5 type rockets that were fired um, from the Gaza Strip, into Israel were made in Iran, and the medium-range Grad-type rockets, they have a range of approximately 40 kilometers, um, and these have been used to terrorize the southern city of, of Israel. Those have either been made in Iran or Iranian officials have instructed Hamas and Islamic Jihad in how to make them and produce them locally in Gaza. So the role that Iran played in that conflict is central um, in setting up uh, basically a rocket base, turning the whole of Gaza into one large rocket base. Um, the role that Iran played in doing that is absolutely central. And we've watched the Iranian leadership do what they need to do to prepare to try to attack the state of Israel, the Jewish state, and they have said their leadership, uh, both the Ayatollah Ali Khomeini and also President Ahmadinejad, they've continually said they're going to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Was this, their participation there in the Gaza Strip, a part of an overall plan as far as the Iranians were concerned. Absolutely. The Iranian strategy has been uh, for years to set up uh, proxies on Israel's borders uh, in the Gaza Strip, in southern Lebanon, and to turn these areas into massive rocket bases. And part of their strategy was to give uh, Israel's enemies on our borders here the ability to flood uh, the home front with massive amounts of rockets. This is part of the Iranian uh, strategy to disrupt normal life, to try and deter Israel from striking out against its enemies. Um, and as we've seen during um, Operation Pillar of Defense, um, Israel was uh, has refused to uh, be intimidated by the, by this strategy and gathered enough intelligence to badly uh, damage. Uh, Hamas and Islamic Jihad in the Gaza Strip. So Israel has certainly challenged this strategy. It's challenging it all the time. It's also intercepting uh, rocket shipments from Iran uh, to Gaza. Yaakov, I think there's another question that begs to be answered as well. You were talking about Hamas in the Gaza Strip. You referred to Israel's northern border, which would be with Lebanon and Hezbollah. But Hamas is a Sunni Muslim, 
and uh, Hezbollah would be Shiite. Iran is Shiite. Uh, there's a divide in the body politic of the Islamic people between uh, the Sunnis and the Shiite. How does this play into this whole equation we're discussing? Well, Jimmy, I think you've put your, your finger on a very important uh, issue that's becoming more and more important uh, in our region. Um, the fact is that Hamas has moved away to some extent from Iran as a sponsor because Hamas, as you've rightly indicated, is at its heart a Sunni terrorist organization, and it was never fully comfortable with uh, its role as a, uh, a proxy of a Shiite Persian uh, power. Um, it accepted Iranian arms and money, um, but when push came to shove and the Syrian revolution broke out and Hamas began supporting the Sunni Syrian rebels against the Alawite uh, Assad regime, this created a real division between Hamas uh, and Iran, which subsequently saw Iran decrease the amount of money uh, and arms that it has uh, been sending to Hamas. That doesn't mean that relations between them have been severed, uh, far from it. At the end of the day, Hamas is still uh, dependent on Iran for the majority of its uh, rockets and its logistical support and a lot of its finances. But it does mean that Iran has now begun sending uh, much more uh, resources to its other proxy in Gaza, which is Islamic Jihad, which has no problem with uh, Iran's uh, Shiite character. Um, but this emerging conflict between between the Sunnis and the Shiites in the Middle East is being felt across the region. The Sunnis in Lebanon are looking across the border at what the Sunnis in Syria are doing, and they're seeing how the uh, Sunnis in Syria, Syria are having success in their uh, war to topple the Assad regime. Um, and that means that the Sunnis in Lebanon are asking themselves, well, why should we live under the shadow of this uh, Iranian-sponsored uh, organization Hezbollah? Why should we accept the Iranian shadow state in southern Lebanon? And all of this means that uh, with the Sunni Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt rising to power and Turkey rising as a, as a regional power, Hamas, we're, we're seeing the emergence of a new Sunni axis. Okay, let me get now to the bottom line. Your article was entitled, Iran Strike in Spring, and put in the form of a question. How about you answering that question? I know the Prime Minister Netanyahu has said uh, there would not be a strike, a, uh, a preemptive strike against the Iranian development of a nuclear weapon of mass destruction at least until next spring. What are your thoughts? Uh, what's the conclusion of your, of your thinking on this issue? Well, first of all, we have to um, note that Prime Minister Netanyahu never committed himself to not striking Iran at any time. He has said on the record that uh, if he feels that uh, the Iranians are about to reach uh, a critical stage in, the, in their nuclear weapons program, uh, an Israeli preemptive strike could occur at any time, and, and that means even tomorrow potentially. So. Uh, for the record, Netanyahu has made it very clear that this could come at any time. The reason that I asked whether it may happen in the spring is because if we look at the rate of uranium enrichment in Iran, it's not slowing down at the moment. They're continuing to uh, move forward with uranium enrichment. And if we look at the available data, it looks as if they may approach some critical uh, point 
uh, in the spring where if they're allowed to continue from that point onwards, they would be able to reach a stage, what we call a breakout stage, where they would be able to very quickly, once, once receiving an order, uh, they would be able to assemble a nuclear bomb. Nobody knows if and when Israel would take military action to stop uh, the Iranian nuclear program. It depends on a host of factors, whether these sanctions have an effect, whether Iran takes a decision to uh, freeze its uranium enrichment and enter into negotiations in a serious matter. But one thing I think we can say with certainty, uh, and that is that if Iran does not freeze its uranium enrichment program, Israel will feel that uh, at some point it will have no choice but to take action. And that's the only thing we can say with certainty. With regards to when, uh, that's a question that I think very few people in the country are able to answer. Absolutely. It's probably in the offices of the military and the head of state there, Prime Minister Netanyahu. Well, I think you've done a service not only to your people there in Israel, but the entire world, basically, with looking at this issue. Iran still happens to be the number one threat as it relates to Israel. Syria at uh, Israel's northern border is of a concern, but Iran is the number one threat. He's not only done a service in this article in our time of conversation with him, but this book, Virtual Caliphate, would be a service to you if you got an opportunity to read it. You can go to Amazon.com. It's available there. Yaakov, thank you so very much for taking a few moments to explain this very, very sticky issue as it relates to the Iranian threat of a nuclear weapon of mass destruction. Appreciate your help, and we'll talk again sometime down the line. My pleasure, Jimmy. I enjoyed, I enjoyed it as well. Yaakov Levin has some information that was key to our understanding as you look at the perspective for the possibility of a preemptive attack on Iran by the Israeli Defense Force. Brought some very interesting points to the table. I thank him for doing that, and you might want to re-listen to that. You can go to our website, prophecytoday.com, PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. This interview will be posted at that location on our website. You might want to call a friend, tell them to listen to the interview as well. Well, here's another man that if you listen, you're going to learn something, and we're going to see how current events are actually helping set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled as it relates to the continent of Europe, and in particular, the European Union. Of course, I'm talking about Dr. Rob Congdon, who keeps a focus on that part of the world and on that union of 27 member states so that we can know what's going on as we approach quickly the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Rob, thanks for being with us. Last time we talked, I said we were almost giving a Middle East news update. I am going to do a little bit more of that, if you don't mind, because there seems to be some debate going on between the member states, and in particular, I believe, uh, the chief of foreign policy, uh, Catherine Ashton, Uh, They're very much, the European Union seems to be very much dismayed with Israel about this housing plan that Prime Minister Netanyahu announced. And at the same time in Jerusalem, the Prime Minister mocked the European Union dismay. Talk to me about uh, this uh, war of words that's actually going on. Well, it is very interesting. It is a war of words, and and it really isn't EU-wide war. It's certain foreign ministers that have been more vocal 
over their concern because in their view, and we have to listen to their words carefully, it will split Palestine into three parts. They are reflecting this uh, European mindset. It's, it's for years it's been established that this land was Palestine and that somehow Israel was created out of it and Israel doesn't have the historic ties to it. And so when they say that they're going, that this move by Netanyahu and Israel would split Palestine, they're reflecting that. Uh, in fact, they've made statements that this Palestinian state under Netanyahu's movement with the new settlement would lose its ancient and holy capital. In other words, Jerusalem was the capital of Palestine, not of Israel. So they don't know history as so often is true in so many people today. And uh, Netanyahu, I, I think he's a little tired of hearing some of these things from the EU. You know, they don't know history and they don't know the Bible. I remember back in 1917 when the Brits defeated the Turkish Empire and took over basically the Middle East. Uh, that those men involved in, General Allenby, for example, and Balfour and others, they were students of the Word of God, and they understood what God's plan was seemingly from the decisions they made about the Jewish people in the state of Israel. Uh, absolutely. They knew history. They knew whose land it was. They knew that in reality that land, uh, before really uh, the Turk takeover, was just had Bedouins, but before that it was Israel. And so uh, they came from a whole different direction. And and again, this, this whole issue of between the EU and Israel, uh, there's a lot of problems because it is a false understanding and the press is perpetuating that false understanding. Uh, Netanyahu made an excellent point. He said, right now, the Palestinians are living in the, the West Bank and in the uh, Gaza, and there's a big gulf between them. So uh, why should they be upset over this, this small, relatively small settlement being put in? So, uh, again, total misunderstanding by these ministers, but they're also the ministers that have been spoken out are primarily pro-Arab. And that's what we should expect from them. Well, let's focus back on the European Union itself. Uh, somewhat of a European Union summit going on this weekend. What's the story on that? Well, uh, yes, it's it's part of the ongoing, regularly scheduled summits. There, there's a whole new kind of change of attitude that's really come out in the last couple of weeks in the European Union. It's kind of like, well, the crisis has been going on so long. You know, to be honest with you, we're tired of it, is what they're sort of saying. And maybe it'll go away, and they've taken one or two steps that are important steps, but it certainly isn't an overall solution. But they've just kind of said, let's not rush to do more. And that's the general prevailing feeling. Well, when you give us this report on the European Union summit, seems to me they want to be treading water at this time. Meanwhile, there's an intelligence report, a projection into the future that has been issued, came out recently, which indicates that China is quickly becoming a superpower in the world, militarily, population-wise, economically. And, in fact, the report says that China will overtake the European Union and the United States, both of them together, by the year 2030. Sounds like China's coming on strong, will be the superpower at that time. And where will the United States, European Union be? We don't know, but what are your thoughts about this report? Well, it's, it's interesting. In fairness, the report portrays several scenarios, one of which is exactly the one you've just described 
described of China overtaking the EU and the U.S. China has severe internal problems, always does. When those rise and come up and cause problems, they lose ground. So this report reflects if they don't have those internal problems. If things keep going well for China, they could overtake the EU and the U.S. But uh, they also wrote a scenario that talked about the EU getting stronger, a renaissance, in which the EU would become really the, the, the real power economically and monetarily and basically a portrayal of what we see in the scriptures. So I, I think what they're doing is portraying several possibilities um, that require certain contingencies. And you and I both have looked in the scriptures. We don't see this role for China in the future uh, biblically. And therefore, I suspect the scenario of China overtaking the EU and the U.S. by 2030 is probably a nice scenario, but I, I really don't expect to see it happen. Will that be the case? Uh, of course, I do see China probably in those kings of the east at the end of the tribulation period, Revelation chapter 16, verse 12. But you're right, the European Union, if it is, as you and I believe, the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire, uh, that uh, part of the, this report recently released uh, is right on target, and uh, Bible prophecy is going to be fulfilled, is it not? Oh, absolutely, and I, I agree with you. What I, I always point out, and many people miss this, and sadly many prophetic teachers miss it, uh, they sort of make the this final revived Roman Empire as the world power in every way, that there's no dissent anywhere, that there's total control of the whole world. Uh, as I study the Scriptures, I don't see that. I see that even the Antichrist will have some foes that he has to deal with, and China could well be among the foes and uh, would appear to be, and therefore we, we need to take the Scripture for what it says and not carry it beyond it. The final world empire will be powerful, just as the Roman Empire was, but there were parts of the world that were not part of the Roman Empire, and I think China would be fit in that same kind of situation. It would be not part of it, could be a problem to the final world empire, but it is not necessarily the world empire. Dr. Rob Congdon, we talk about current events that are unfolding with a focus on the European Union, the continent of Europe, uh, but then we always have to bring to the table a prophetic scenario found in God's Word because we both believe that's what's going to happen absolutely in the future. Rob, thank you so very much. We'll talk again next week, buddy. Always good to be with you. Lord bless. Dr. Rob Congdon always brings very important information to the table. And seemingly there's a connection every single time we talk between current events and Bible prophecy. Well, we're going to switch totally to a different part of the world. We're going out to the South Pacific to a place called Hawaii. And a longtime broadcast partner with us, Colonel Bob McGinnis, who we normally talk to when he's in Washington, D.C., is out on a special mission there in the islands. Bob, that must be tough duty, but somebody had to do it, right? Oh, that's right, Jimmy. It's a beautiful place. I'm on Ford Island, which is in the middle of Pearl Harbor, and I've been here for the last week uh, training uh, Army people from all over the Pacific Asian Rim. So it's an exciting place to be and uh, exciting times. Yes, exciting times and what a mission you have. I'm not going to even try to delve into what the mission is because, of course, 
that is uh, official business, and we have no need to know for that. But I do have some conversation that I want to have with you. In fact, as I understand it, some of the training that's going on has a focus out on the Far East, out into the area of Asia, and uh, what's going on with China, India, some of those other uh, far Eastern nations that may be uh, politically involved in our world today. Uh, why is the president, and let me ask that, he's announced that he wants to focus in that direction. Why is he so focused on that part of the world? Well, after the end of the Cold War back in 1989, Jimmy, um, our intent was to uh, shift rebalance forces from Europe to Asia because we saw the rising of the Chinese uh, military and as a nation economically. Uh, so our interests were more in the Pacific, but the, what happened in the Middle East kind of interrupted that. Uh, clearly, you know, with Saddam Hussein's invasion of uh, Kuwait, uh, the Desert Storm, Desert Shield operation, and then, of course, 9-11, the shift to uh, the Pacific, of course, had to be delayed because of what was going on in the Middle East. But this past January, the president announced a new strategy, and that was to uh, shift our 60% of our naval assets and more of our strategic assets into the Asia-Pacific realm because of the, you know, he didn't say particularly because of the rising Chinese threat, uh, but I think in a veiled way, everybody understands that's what it's about. So when we talk about Asia-Pacific, we're talking about the geographical area that extends from India all the way to Northeast Asia, all the way down to Australia. So it's a, a vast area of the earth. And of course, uh, that's in part what, what I'm out here to do is to help people to prepare for the type of engagements we'll have in the coming years. Uh, very strategic area, clearly with the uh, North Korean launch, uh, successful launch this week, uh, with uh, certainly uh, the threats that the Chinese are posing in the South China Sea, through which a large part of our own commerce from India and Southeast Asia and even China must travel. Uh, just a very volatile part of the world. Yeah, you brought up what I was going to ask you next about. Seems that uh, while you're out there training these military personnel, North Korea goes ahead with their test of a long-range missile. Was that in the face of uh, the United States, or what was the purpose behind it? Well, it's not unusual for uh, the North Koreans to try to rob the world stage of attention. And the successful launch was inevitable, I think, given uh, you know, Kim Jong-un, his father's efforts and his father's father's efforts over the years. Uh, but it was, uh, once again, a reminder that uh, these people are serious. I would expect the next thing that they're going to do is to have another nuclear test, the third, uh, now that they have a successful rocket launch. And, of course, the nexus they have with the Iranians is very significant because uh, the Iranians have been successful in some of their rocket launches, missile launches, and now the North Koreans have a, uh, I think, we validated that they have a small satellite in orbit, which means they have an intercontinental uh, ballistic missile capability which could easily target the United States. Uh, just a matter of what direction they're going to fire it. This one went south uh, right over uh, the Philippines, uh, off the east coast of China. Um, very disconcerting. We have to have uh, systems that can track missiles, and we also have to have anti-ballistic systems, like the ones we have at Fort Greeley in Alaska, 
and also Vandenberg Air Force Base in California. And you know, we'll see if the President and the Congress can agree to expand that capability now that we have, I think, a validated threat from the North Koreans. Well, it does make sense that uh, you be out there training these personnel in order to be prepared for something like this. In fact, that brings to my mind then a brand new recently released report from the intelligence community that the rise of China will come about within the next years up to about 2030. And by that time, China will have taken over both the United States and the European Union. Uh, is that what you see in the focus, and is it possible that really could happen? Well, it's certainly economically. The Chinese are already number two in the world. Uh, they surpassed Japan this year, uh, and it's quite possible they could surpass the United States. Uh, they've been able to drive the world markets to their front door, and they've been able to respond uh, accordingly, really making them the industrial base. Now, they're beginning to lose some traction uh, to other nations in Asia. The Southeast Asian countries of Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand, uh, even Burma, uh, some of those markets are going south because of the cheap labor prices. Uh, but the Chinese, uh, of course, have radically expanded their military capability in terms of uh, a blue water navy, which they're growing all the time. And just two weeks ago, they launched their first aircraft carrier that had a uh, what's called a J-15 or a Sukhoi 33, a Soviet-style uh, jet that flies on a carrier. Uh, and they launched that the first time, which surprised a lot of us. Uh, we didn't think it'd be so soon. Uh, so the Chinese are rapidly increasing their capability. In many cases, they steal our technology, our stealth technology for submarines, uh, some of the carrier technology. Certainly the anti, uh, anti-carrier ballistic missile systems they put together are clearly a threat to our carrier fleet, which is in the, the Western Pacific. And again, we must reiterate that the fact is you're there in the Hawaiian Islands now training military personnel and focusing on the Asian part of our world today. Bob McGinnis, Colonel McGinnis, he is a broadcast partner par excellence here with us on Prophecy Today, helping us to understand what's happening. And it's always good to be able to talk to him when he's on the scene of uh, what is happening in our world. Bob, thank you so very much. Have a wonderful trip out there, and we'll talk to you again soon. Well, thank you, Jimmy. As I said, our broadcast partners are scattered all over the world. Hey, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'll be talking with Dr. Randy Price about Noah's Ark. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. You do not want to change that dial. In just a moment, we'll be talking with Dr. Randy Price. He is on a team of people that are going into the area of eastern Turkey, and they're looking for Noah's Ark. This is an amazing story. By the way, there has been Noah's Ark replicated in the Netherlands. Randy will talk to us about that as well. Keep the dial set right where it is. It's going to be an interesting segment upcoming in just a moment. By the way, at prophecytoday.com, our shopping mall is open. If you have some late Christmas shopping you need to do, give a gift that has meaning. Why not give a study on Bible prophecy? And we have some unbelievable specials. 
every one of our DVDs. These are excellent teachings on location. You'll be able to see it with your very eyes, what we're talking about as we teach. These are all priced at $10. Every single one of them in our shopping mall, only $10. And then our CDs, these are audio series, five hours each, and we have studies on many books of the Bible. These are going to be marked down to $15. This is a great saving for your Christmas shopping. Go to our shopping mall, prophecytoday.com. Let me give you the poll question. As you're at our website, you need to answer this question. The geopolitical activities and current events happening in our world today, like the mass murders, even in the schools, Europe and its economic crisis, the Far East and the rise of China economically and militarily, and the ongoing conflicts in the Middle East seem to be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Do you believe that we are quickly approaching the end-time scenario that can be found in Bible prophecy? That's our poll question. Go to our website, prophecytoday.com. Now we bring to these microphones a longtime friend, Dr. Randall Price, and he is a prolific author. Many books, especially focused on Jerusalem, the temple, the next Jewish temple, etc. But he has a new venture now, and he's out with a group of very, very qualified personnel looking for Noah's Ark, the original Ark that dates back some 4,500 years ago. We'll get to that discussion and find out, get an update on what's happening in their search for the Ark. And Randy, let me talk to you about the Ark here. We're talking about Noah's Ark. There's some things that are happening. Actually, they've just been announced and uh, what will be looked that by many people across the world on ABC upcoming in December will be a look at a life-size two-scale ark that has been built, a 20-year project by Johan Ubers. He is in the Netherlands, a Dutchman who was a builder by trade, and he actually has replicated Noah's ark following the directions found in Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9. I don't know if you've been there to see it. I'm sure you must be aware of it. But let me also bring in into our discussion. ABC has two specials coming up, December the 21st and also uh, December the 28th with Christian Amanpour. And she's going to visit that ark. I'm, I'm interested. What are your thoughts about this? Uh, is this good as it relates to the real truth that's found in God's Word about Noah's ark? Well, Jimmy, I think anybody who takes literally the story in Genesis is doing a good thing, because we live in a skeptical age in which that's been reduced to a myth, even by many prominent evangelicals. And so what he's doing, he's he's taking dimensions that are given to us and making a seaworthy vessel, which uh, simply underscores the fact that these were literal directions, a literal ark was constructed, because it can be constructed. And it is something that is not nonsense. It actually will perform uh, as expected. So from that point of view, it's a a very good uh, testimony that uh, God's Word is, as it says, uh, something that literally occurred. You know, as you've already mentioned, we're in a quest of our own to try to find uh, something of the original. And no one yet knows uh, exactly some of the details that are given in the Bible because they, they're hard to decipher and understand. Uh, in fact, what Uber's doing in, in making a, a model 
uh, as he is, uh, helps us understand that more because when you get down to actually creating architecturally some of these things, there's only certain ways they will work. And, and so some of the uh, misunderstandings of the Hebrew language in those texts might be understood better when someone actually constructs a model. Are you aware of the project uh, that's being done by the Creation Museum there in the Cincinnati, Ohio area with Ken Ham and his Answers in Genesis? They're supposedly replicating the Ark as well. Yes, I have. I, you know, I've been there uh, a couple of times, and actually before they started the project, although in their museum uh, they have their own uh, films they've made of the kind of model that they believe um, functioned as the Ark. They have a, a little different perspective on it in terms of how they think it had to, to function in terms of the nautical capabilities and uh, other things, which are a little different than what most people have expected. Uh, all of this will be understood better if um, an excavation uh, in an expedition actually occurs. Well, I want to get to that with you in just a moment. Let me bring up one more thing. Uh, before we again confirm what God's Word has to say there in the book of Genesis, I understand that Robert Ballard, he is an underwater archaeologist, and I think played a key role in finding the Titanic on the bottom of the ocean. Uh, but he is now in search of a proof that indeed Noah's flood did take place. Now, when I read the article, I wasn't able to determine whether he believed it was a worldwide flood or regional there in the Black Sea area. But off the coast of Turkey, he's doing some diving. Uh, is this just then again an effort for people to say, well, yeah, there was some kind of a flood. Yeah, there was a Noah. Yeah, there was an ark, but it wasn't a worldwide. What do you know about uh, Robert Ballard's project? About Ballard's work, uh, he would interpret this as a regional flood, a, a large region, as the result of the melting of the last ice age. And so he says that uh, inundated, uh, came over the land, inundated this large area and just simply submerged the civilization that was there. So he's discovered the shoreline of this ancient civilization and uh, recovered different types of artifacts and things from there. You know, the problem here, he, he would put that between five and 7,000 years ago, more than that. It, it doesn't really fit the time of the biblical flood. It's actually considered earlier than that from the way they're looking at it. And uh, because it was a regional flood and connected to the Ice Age, we would look at this as post-flood. And part of the problem is simply the chronology, um, archaeologists, and dating their different strata depend upon the geologic timetable, which is based on evolutionary concepts and, and not, not a necessarily observable fact, but a hypothetical fact. So the problem is everyone approaching this uh, from a biblical position has to think a little differently in terms of dates which is why even when you do radiocarbon dates on things, uh, you have to say if this is pre-flood or post-flood or near to the flood, uh, it's going to be affected by a lot of factors, including being submerged in water or you know how long it did before it was actually used and all kinds of things. So. Very interesting conversation we're having, Randy. And what I'm hearing is basically there's different approaches or different ideas about uh, how the flood uh, did take place and what the ark was like, etc. But God's word is absolute, is it not? There in Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8, when it records uh, the flood and, and what happened during that period of time, maybe some 4,500 years ago. Well, that's right. I mean, the descriptions in the Bible 
are quite explicit. We have to remember they weren't giving us those descriptions so that we could build an ark. Uh, I do think they were given so that if the ark were ever found, we'd be able to identify we found the right thing. On the other hand, it's an account of the judgment of this world and the salvation that came through the ark, which was the picture of you know, how God approaches sinful humanity and how he offers that, uh, that gift of salvation. So I think for many reasons that count is controversial and opposed by those who, of course, have not accepted the scriptures as the word of God. I know that you have dedicated a great part of your life and your ministry uh, to joining with a team to go out in search of the real Noah's Ark there in uh, the area of the world that the Bible seems to indicate it would be located. And I understand also, as you mentioned early on, that you can't talk a lot about it because of the sensitivity of this project. But uh, first of all, just give us a brief, if you can, update on how the project's going, and then tell me and tell those eavesdropping on this conversation, why are you dedicating your part of your life to search for this ark? Well, first let me explain that this is a scientific expedition. Uh, Everybody involved have certain professional credentials or bring certain professional skills to it. Uh, The team consists of uh, about 20 individuals American, Turkish, Kurdish, uh, so that we have um, a joint operation, although it's led from the American side. The purpose of it, of course, is to follow through on data that we have. It wasn't simply running out to look at shadows in the snow or follow stories from locals. Uh, We used satellite data uh, and then took uh, geophysical teams to do ground-penetrating radar uh, at the site, try to locate things that were identified by the satellite. And we feel we've done that. Uh, We've been there now four years, uh, each time performing this kind of thing to narrow down the search parameters. Uh, We've excavated uh, twice to a depth of, in the glacier, at 17,000 feet. We've excavated to a depth of about 40 feet. Each time we've gotten closer and closer to where we, we feel the anomalies are. Now, you remember the ark was 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. That's a very large object, but it didn't remain intact. Uh, it may have been intact in the recent past, but uh, was apparently from our data broken up, although we have very large pieces, but they're very deep beneath a glacier from what we can tell. Again, we call them anomalies because we don't know for sure what they are, but where they are, the shape of them, other information that we have received from our own excavations have led us to think that we at least have Noah's Ark as a good candidate. No trees on the mountain, per se, certainly 17,000 feet. No people have gone to that altitude and certainly not put something uh, beneath the glacier some 40 feet below. This is a stationary glacier, so it hasn't moved. It hasn't uh, broken things up. It may move some because of earthquake activity, but Generally, what's been there has been there since that uh, glacier was formed at the site at the top of the mountain. So we feel we have very good data to pursue, and that's what we're doing. And we still have another year that we're going to work on this. So for that reason, we have to be very careful in what we say publicly. Why are you doing this, Randy? What's driving you? Well, I'm a evangelical uh, believer. That is, I, I take the Word of God literally and seriously, it, it forms the basis for my not only my belief, but also my practice. And as a result, when I read the book of Genesis, I see history. It, it's 
starts with a history of creation, moves to a history of mankind, and then narrows to a history of one part of mankind, which is Abraham and the, and the Jewish people. And just as historical as the Jewish people are, so is Noah's Ark and the account of the flood, as well as verifying to the world the fact that this actually happened. And that's where my evangelical faith comes in, because, as you well know, the Lord Jesus says, as in the days of Noah, so shall the days of the coming of the Son of Man be. And we live in a, an age that is just on, I think, the verge of seeing the return of Jesus Christ, and we need that wake-up call that says judgment is imminent, it comes with the, the judge, and then there's also salvation available, just as there was with the ark, there is with putting one's personal trust in Christ as Savior. So that kind of message needs to be uh, well understood, and many people, because they can't trust the Bible, can't trust Christ. And archaeology and a discovery like this would, I think, move some people beyond that point of doubt to a point of decision. Well, that would be a great opportunity to see people come to the Lord Jesus Christ, which is really, my friend, if you've been eavesdropping on the conversation, realized is the heart of Randy, who is out there searching for the real Noah's Ark. Randy, I appreciate what you're doing out there. Look forward to finding out more information, especially if you uh, come up with some very solid, definite evidence that uh, that is the Ark, the original one. And uh, indeed, uh, you're right. Uh, as in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And we, I agree with you, we are quickly approaching that time. Randy, thank you so very much, my good friend. And I hope we'll have an opportunity to talk down the line. Thank you, Jimmy. Man, that was a great conversation that I had with Dr. Randy Price. Well, we're going to have to take a break. When we come back, I'll take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past, as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets, and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. 
If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, a chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end times prophecy book that God has preserved in his scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, we looked at geopolitical activities and current events that are actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. We did this with our broadcast partners who were located all around the world. Uh, We talked to Ken Timmerman. He's in Washington, D.C. We talked about the Syrian civil war that's intensifying and how Bashar Assad has chemical weapons of mass destruction ready to use. Now, he's promised not to use them on his own people, but any attacking element that comes after his regime may be touched with these chemical weapons of mass destruction. Whatever the case, everybody is saying that he has these chemical weapons ready to use. David Dolan continued with our look at the Middle East. He always gives us a Middle East news update. David was the first one to write about Hamas, and he's talking now about Hamas for the very first time holding a major rally of support in what is referred to as the West Bank. We're talking about north of Jerusalem, and that's the area of Judea and Samaria. But we also went south of Jerusalem to Hebron, which is the second most sacred city to the Jewish people. It's where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are buried. And there was an incident that took place this week between the Palestinians and the Israeli Defense Force. It may launch a third intifada. You do not want to miss hearing what David had to say about that. Yako Lappin, he is a journalist for the Jerusalem Post, also an author of a book, A Virtual Caliphate. He gave us insight into a preemptive strike in Iran by Israel and why it will happen and when it might happen as well. Dr. Rob Congdon is always on these microphones, helping us to understand what's going on in the European Union. He tells us that they have a key role in our world in the future, because he's a student of Bible prophecy. But indeed, they have a key role in what's happening in the present as well. Very important report. Bob McGinnis was out in Hawaii. He works at the Pentagon in his day job. He does the journalistic things in the evening. But he gave us an interview about what he is doing in Hawaii. He's out there training military personnel. And they are now focusing not so much on Europe, not so much on the Middle East, but on Asia. He was talking about how China is becoming a superpower. That's been predicted by a recently released report from the intelligence community that by the year 2030, we're going to have China as the superpower, and in the background will be the United States and the European Union. Bob has some very interesting thoughts on that. Dr. Randy Price is in search of Noah's Ark. He has a team they have for the last four years. They have one more year that they're going to do this. They're going out to the mountains of Ararat in eastern Turkey looking for Noah's Ark. It's a very, very interesting conversation. By the way, you can listen to all of these broadcast partners at prophecytoday.com, P-T-R-N. That's Prophecy Today Radio Network. It's radio when you want it, at your convenience, when it's good for you to be able to listen to it. You know, on this broadcast, we often say 
that we cover the political because it sets the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. The truth be known, geopolitical activities and current events in our world today are indeed setting the stage for what some call a catastrophic or spectacular event to happen. But in reality, it's simply part of the end-of-time scenario that can be found in Bible prophecy. If you have a moment, think about this with me. If you are a watcher of geopolitical activities and current events, and at the same time familiar at all with Bible prophecy, you will recognize that our world is on the fast track to the scenario that is found on the pages of Bible prophecy. Even secular journalists recognize our world is being prepared for something spectacular. You know, every newspaper, for example, has what they call the second coming headline. It's the very largest headline that they can post on their mass right there on their newspaper. As a student of Bible prophecy and what I would probably call a news junkie, I do recognize that this world is very close to the last of days scenario that's found on the pages of Bible prophecy, as I've just said. God's word helps us to understand what is going to happen in the end times. For example, as you look out to the far east, we can see that they are quickly putting in place their economic population and military power in order to become, among the nations of the world, a superpower. This was foretold in the scriptures by John the Revelator when he wrote about the impact of the kings of the east in Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12. Now that's talking about the end of the tribulation period when all the nations of the world, Zechariah chapter 14 verse 2, will gather at Jerusalem. Revelation 16 verses 13 to 16 says the Antichrist, the false prophet, and Satan will use signs, wonders, and miracles to do that. And the kings of the east would include China and India. Europe and the European Union, with all of their economic struggles, are working to put in place an economic superstructure that is described in Bible prophecy, and that's Daniel chapter 7, verses 23 and 24, and that economic structure found in Revelation chapter 18. You know, in the Middle East, with the radicalism that's prevalent in that part of the world, and especially in both Syria and Egypt, that would be to the north, Syria of Israel, and to the south, Egypt of the Jewish state of Israel, one can understand better the pre-written history written by the prophet Daniel in Daniel chapter 11, verses 40 to 43. You can recognize what the text tells us. It says in Daniel 11, verse 40, and at the time of the end. Now that's describing the time in history in which we are living. And it says there will be two states that will start to move. They will be the first two of an alignment of nations that will form a coalition to go against the Jewish state of Israel. It talks about there in the passage, Daniel 11:40, the king of the north. And early on in chapter 11, you see that is Syria and the king of the south, which would be modern day Egypt. These are the two nations that are going to make the move first to go against the Jewish state. 
with everything that's going on in these two particular states, the civil war there in Syria with the possible use of chemical weapons of mass destruction, and the Muslim Brotherhood in power in Egypt and trying to implement an Islamic state there in Egypt, you can understand that we are at that time in history talked about in Bible prophecy. But let me remind you, before all of these prophecies are fulfilled, the rapture of the church takes place. And that rapture actually could happen at any moment. And having said that, there's nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Thank you.